rolling. This is Streams, episode uh, 26. I am your host, Red Karan. Welcome back. I appreciate you for tapping in and listening with me, listening to me, or watching me, or wherever you're consuming this content today. Um, What, what am I supposed to say? I'm your host, Red Karana, the greatest monologue on earth, something like that. Yeah, I'm saying, I don't know. Um, so today my topic is, um, I don't have any clever title, but I just have more just of a concept that I wanted to discuss. Um, that was inspired by a string of conversations that I've had with several people, mostly my cousin and um, a, a few old friends and stuff like that, about how Overall, the world does not seem to feel the way that it once did. Um, let me read it how I wrote it. I'm curious. For my own curiosities, I just want to see how I wrote it. Um, I wrote it I wrote it as today the world doesn't feel the way the world felt in the 90s community economic economy I said economy that's crazy that is crazy I said community economy kids etc um I probably touched on this in the last two videos um when I was talking about the economy when I was talking about um music things feel pretty different. There's almost like a literal feeling, like almost a texture that the world had when I was a kid that I don't really identify with anymore. I don't really come across it anymore is what I mean. I don't really feel it the way that I once felt it. I can only speak about the 90s because that's the only time that I experienced being a kid. You know, I'm pretty sure... We all have our version of this feeling. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. I know me and my friends have this feeling. And I don't even know if what they're describing is exactly what I feel. But allow me to explain what I mean. Make sure I don't make the same mistake with the audio that I did last week. But anyway, man, the when I was coming up, In the 90s, <clears throat> aside from the obvious things like the way technology used to be, the way that it felt, the way that it looked, the way that it behaved, the lack of technology that we had back then versus today, and how the world had to be shaped around that. You know, there was no internet when I was a baby. There was an internet in existence, but there was no consumer level mass you know no populated you know no no internet that was being given out and distributed from household to household the internet was a very exclusive thing that you could probably only find in government buildings or something like that i don't know there was more like an intranet back then where it would be like systems within a company or systems within i don't know just a network of whatever it might have been. I don't know. 
But I remember a time, you know, for those of you listening that are young enough to not remember a time, I lived in a time where the internet wasn't even a thing. Um, And that's crazy, again, to say, because it makes it seem like I'm 70 years old. I'm not even that old. But the world has shifted in, in such a drastic, dramatic fashion that things have accelerated and changed so fast in my own lifetime. But I do remember there was a time when there was no internet. I remember waking up and the thing to do was TV or video games was still a thing, but they were vastly different, obviously. Like back then when I was, I mean, when I was really, really young, I never owned one, but I remember my cousin having an Atari at his house. We were in Highland Park on Ferris Street, six mile in Oakland, and we were playing an Atari on his wooden floors in his new house that we were actively moving into. I remember, I've probably played the Atari many times in that time, in that time frame, but the only time that I could vividly remember it was when we were moving his stuff from one house on one end of the block to a new house closer to Six Mile, closer to Oakland, I'm sorry, closer to Oakland. So they were in a house that was on Ferris and Woodward, and they were moving into a new house that was still on Ferris, but it was more towards Oakland. Um, If you're familiar with Detroit, if you're familiar with Ham, uh, not Hamtramck, but Highland Park, I mean, if you know that area, then you know there's Woodward, Oakland, then there's Six Mile. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, then you've probably heard of Deja Vu the Strip Club because Deja Vu the Strip Club is right there somewhere uh, on Six Mile and Woodward. But we were moving his stuff, their stuff, literally walking it up the street from one house to the other. And I remember there being an Atari. There was a TV hooked up already, but the house was mostly empty. And there was an Atari hooked up to it. And we played the Atari sitting on his stairs looking at the TV and that was how they kept us occupied while the adults probably did the real work. Because I was really young. This is like 91, 92. You know, I was really young. Um, I was born in 88. So I was like three or four years old. I was really young. Five years old, maybe. And I just remember the way things smelled And I'm not talking about, this is not contributing to my overall topic, but I'm talking about this particular day. My mind latches on to the way things smelled, the way things looked. It felt old. Even then, it felt nostalgic. And even the older I get, the more nostalgic that it it eventually feels. But, um, yeah, so there was technology. We had video games. There was TV. And back then, it was like static, you know, coax cable. That was it. There was no um, streaming services, and there was no internet. You know, there was no, uh, what what do you call it? Uh, No internet-based TV. There was no digital TV. It was all physical connections um, 
There was no, oh, well, there might have, there probably was satellite, excuse me. I got the hiccups, like, randomly. Anyway, there was probably satellite, I don't know, but I didn't experience satellite back then. But the thing to do back then was, you know, you would wake up, turn your TV on. I had a TV in my room pretty much as far back as I can remember. I would watch TV in Detroit at the time. I would watch Channel 46, which was Nickelodeon, 47, which was uh, Cartoon Network. Um, Eventually, I started watching MTV, which was Channel 55, VH1, which I think was 56 or 57, one of the two. And I think the channels changed over the years. So I think at one point, VH1 was uh, 57. I remember BET being 18, but I think at one point BET was like channel 23 or something too when I was younger. But I spent most of my time on Nickelodeon because I was a Nickelodeon kid. I had no Disney Channel. As far as I remember, there was no Disney Channel for basic, the basic Comcast cable. You had to pay for extra channels to get Disney Channel, and I did not ever have the Disney Channel. So... Um, I've had conversations with people today talking about like all the old Disney shows or whatever, or we'll be watching a movie, a current movie, and they'll be like, that's the girl from, uh, she used to play on that one Disney show. And I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about because I had zero experience with Disney, Disney content. I never saw that. So Raven, none of that. I, I wasn't a Disney kid. I was a Nickelodeon kid. But all this stuff aside, this is all like entertainment. You know, this is all, you know, just entertainment. But the world itself ultimately feels different. But I, I could start with the entertainment aspect because that's a part of it as well. I remember the way cartoons used to be produced, the way they would look, the way they would, the content that was within them, even the sitcoms, not Outside of the cartoons, I remember watching Martin. I remember watching Fresh Prince. I remember watching The Cosby Show. I remember seeing uh, Different World. I remember seeing Matlock, the original, um, uh, what's it called? Um, I remember seeing the original Law and Order, like the first Law and Order, before it branched out into 30 different iterations. I remember all that stuff being on TV and I remember how it all felt. I remember it being very mature in its nature. Maybe not Fresh Prince and Martin, but those were comedy-based shows. But I remember In Living Color. I remember Living Single. I remember a lot of things being on TV back then and the way that those shows felt. You know, Hanging with Mr. Cooper, or if you even go even further and you start talking about the Steve Harvey show, you know, before TV started to get, uh, you could tell it was like assembly line where they were just making shows for cheap laughs to get ratings. The production value had fallen drastically over the years. I think it started with later seasons of like Martin Jamie Foxx show, even though Jamie Foxx show was good, if you look at Jamie Foxx show and then look at like the Cosby show, not the content, the content has a part of it too, 
But the way they were produced and the messages that were being relayed through these shows drastically changed. Because as far as I remember in the Jamie Foxx show and shows in its era didn't really have messages. It was just, like I said, cheap laughs, something to entertain you for 27 or 23 minutes of runtime, minus commercials, you know. And it was just something to keep your eye on that channel until the next show came on. But in the Cosby show, they built an entire universe of characters, a family with, you know, pretty consistent storylines from season one all the way to season eight whenever the Cosby show ended. You know, it was like we grew up with Theo, quote unquote, you know, Malcolm Jamal Warner. We grew up with Lisa Bonet as... Um, what I can't even remember her name. That's like my favorite show ever. I'm just drawing a blank right now, but you know, Keisha Knight Pulliam playing Rudy and all of these people, we literally grew up with them. I didn't because I was too young to really catch that when it was real, like real time, I mean. But retroactively, I did watch it. I do remember the Cosby show being on TV, but you gotta think the show went off, I think, in 92, 93. I was very young when the show was going off. When it started, I was not even alive, as far as I know, as far as I remember. But even with a comedy-based show like The Fresh Prince, it's very comedy, it's very, very funny, but the messages that they were putting across in those episodes, sometimes that show got very heavy. You, you know, Quincy Jones' son was behind that show, and Quincy Jones was involved in the show as well. And... There was a lot of there was a lot of brilliant people involved in the Fresh Prince that gave it this texture, this feeling, this heaviness, this hardiness that made it feel like a real show. And then you fast forward to the UPN era where we had the Parkers. Um, Moesha was kind of well put together, but the Parkers, you had one on one, all that stuff was fluff, bro. It didn't feel the way that those other shows that I'm mentioning felt. Things felt different as time went on. That goes for the music. If briefly you talk about music again, the way music felt transitioning from the 80s to the, I mean, as far as rap music, from the 80s to the 90s, all of that music, for the most part, was like, you could tell the artists cared and that they were, were rooted to something. They felt feelings and they cared about things and people. They cared about social issues. Or even if they rapped from a street perspective, they rapped about it from a almost regretful standpoint or almost like they would tell a two-sided story. The truth, you know, the less glamorous, glorified part of it, like, yeah, shit gets dark, motherfuckers go to jail, I've been dealing with depression, all of those sorts of things. But then it transitioned into the 2000s where there was still a lot of great, great music being made. But it was uh, getting a little more sparing, a little more far and few between with the way that these shows were produced. They didn't quite feel the same. I mean, not shows, songs, I'm sorry, albums and songs. 
things started to get a little more like they were hit chasing. They were talking about fluff. Okay, that's that's um, the entertainment portion of it. But speaking to the way that the world outside felt, the way people felt, the way people talked, the etiquette that we had, whether it was at the dinner table or the way that we respected elders or the way that we dealt with people in general, there was an etiquette there. And the reason that I know that is because I witnessed it for a for a decade and a half of my life before the world flipped upside down before my eyes. It's like I watched it degrade and degenerate into whatever this is. When I was growing up in my neighborhood, I grew up Dequinder, Six Mile, close to Hamtramck, but my... I think my address might even come up as a Hamtramck address, but as far as I was taught, I lived right on the border where Detroit and Hamtramck meet in that particular spot. DeQuinder, a.k.a. 75 right there, Six Mile, um, Carpenter, um, and Joseph Campo. I was in that box. It's, it's very close to Hamtramck, but there was nothing Polish. There was nothing Hamtramck about it. I li- I grew up in a crack den. I grew up in a crack haven. My neighborhood was pretty wild at that time, especially. But it's still it's still fucked up today. And I don't be over there anymore. I go over there every now and then, and it's even more fucked up visually. But back then, it was full of people. It was pretty dark, man. It was a lot of fucked up shit going on in that neighborhood. But I'll tell you one thing that remain though and I'm sure people older than me can relate to this as well there was still regardless of how fucked up things were there was a sense of community on my block up to a certain point I lived on a it was pretty much a one way street from 75 down to uh, Goddard I think that was a little side street big giant block I didn't really know the houses down near 75 because that was like way out of my reach as a kid. I wouldn't, I wasn't going all the way down there. I didn't really know none of those people. But like three quarters of that block, I knew every single household pretty much. The people that lived in them, their backstories, the things that were probably currently going on with them because it, it was a community. It's the same way a small town operates. You go to a small town, pretty much everybody there knows everybody's business because it's a small town and there is a sense of community there. My neighborhood was that. Everybody knew everybody. And even if you didn't know anybody by name, you still knew them just by face. So when you would see them outside, you would speak just simply because of proximity and familiarity. I knew all the adults, all the kids, who was related to who, who had sex, who was having affairs and what mama cheated on what daddy and who got roaches and what school this person go to what school that person go to this motherfucker flunked and had to stay back a grade yo mama is uh got mental issues this motherfucker these people suffer from incest 
it was all I knew all the, the all the details pretty much everybody this person had open heart surgery that motherfucker granddaddy just died this person crazy he got alcohol problems this motherfucker's a crackhead he shoot heroin he run a tree service this motherfucker just got a new truck all sorts of stuff like that we knew it all because we all communicated and we knew each other and we cared about each other to an extent right I have not felt that that feeling that I'm describing, I have not experienced that since I left that neighborhood 21 years ago, 2002, I was gone, or I'm sorry, no, the year 2001, I believe was the year that I moved away from my neighborhood and I moved west because that was on the east side. It's very shallow. He's very, very, the beginning of the east side, but that is still considered the east side or like the north end or something. Um, once I left that neighborhood, I never felt that feeling again. Now, I'm not saying that there weren't other neighborhoods that still felt like that or even continue to feel like that today. You know, a lot of people might be connected to their neighborhoods, I think there was a mixture of things happening for me that made me disconnect from that feeling. One might have been the fact that I left my original neighborhood where I knew everyone. But I also think there was a change in the world going on at the same exact time. Why? Because literally the year that I left my neighborhood was the same year that 9-11 happened. And what happened after that? Mass hysteria for all sorts of reasons, you know, racism, people splitting off into factions and saying, oh, I don't trust you and I don't trust you. The airport started locking down and you couldn't move a certain way anymore. Everything became weird. I went to D.C. maybe three years after 9-11 and everything was locked down. The world changed. That's one aspect, though. That's only one layer. Because that's like almost on a national governmental level. I'm not necessarily talking about just that. What I am talking about, though, is at that same time, the internet was becoming a thing. And you know what else was becoming a thing? I believe the year 2000 or 2001 was the year that I got my first cell phone. Now, granted, it was a Nokia cell phone. I could play Snake on it. I had a few contacts. I got it for Christmas. Um, it had a. It didn't even have a full color display. It had like a green screen. You know what I'm saying? Y'all know the phones I'm talking about. The brick Nokias that are indestructible. I had that motherfucker. I think in eighth grade, had to be 2000. Two, no, the Christmas of 2001, I think, was the year that I got that cell phone. This same year, 9-11 happened, I moved out of my neighborhood, and cell phones became kind of normal. I was like of the first child generation where me and my friends started popping up with cell phones. Follow me. And I'm, I'm, I'm laying this out in real time as I remember it happening. But that was the first year I had my cell phone, and I wasn't the first kid in my class 
that had a cell phone. I was I was not the first at all. Okay, we continue on. As the years go, cell phones become more and more regular throughout like 2003, 2004, uh, definitely 2005 and six. We start getting um, Nextel chirps and all sorts of different flip phones where you could do ringtones and listen to music and take pictures and all kind of shit. I had my first picture uh, camera phone in 2004. I was in like 10th grade or eight, uh, ninth or 10th grade. Had a flip phone with a camera on it. Now, granted, the camera looked terrible. Probably two megapixels, one megapixel or something like that. Terrible looking, but follow me. We're getting all of this new access to things, technology. And it's almost like creating a separation at the same time. It's like the more we're able to contact people, the more that we're able, the, the more that technology closes the gap and the distance between us in terms of communication, the more it started to feel like there was a bigger gap between us all as people. And the evidence is that now we have these. I got a cell phone in my hand with three cameras on it that can call anywhere in the world at the drop of a hat. I can log on to an app that where I can see what everyone's doing right now. I can go live and show all of my thousand-something followers what I'm doing right now. And yet, I feel more alone than I did in 1999. Because now everybody that I know is on this phone, a device that is in my pocket, versus there being a sense of community right here next to me. I think the quality, I touched on this in my last episode as well. I think the quality of everything dropped. I think the quality of food dropped. I don't think, I know the, the quality of food dropped. I remember, now, disclaimer, I am aware that as a child, your taste buds and your knowledge of what quality food is, is certainly not up to par because kids like eating garbage. You know, we don't know what good food is at seven years old because we haven't had a $150 steak. We haven't had, we haven't gone to Mr. Child's. We haven't gone to a super nice restaurant and had really good food to compare it to anything. You know what I'm saying? As a kid, you're eating bologna sandwiches and shit like that. Fried salami sandwiches and, 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 and Lunchables and shit and pop tarts. And you know what I'm saying? I, I get that, but allow me to just express what I'm thinking. Regardless of that fact, to me, the way all of these fast food restaurants taste and feel texturally has gone in the shitter, bro. Now, some things maintain to be pretty good quality food from as, as in terms of a fast food restaurant, right? But we were just talking about this on Thanksgiving uh, about KFC their honey barbecue wings, and their chicken in general, right? I remember how good that type of food used to 
taste. It didn't feel like a bad substitute for a home-cooked meal because the food was so good, at least to me back then, that it was like, it didn't seem like a crazy second option for dinner for your family. Now, unhealthy it might be. Fast food of all kinds is pretty much bullshit. Got it. But my point is, the way that that shit tasted and felt when you would eat it back then, it does not, or this new food doesn't even come close to that. Not even close. Not close. And I think, my theory is that this country, progressively since 1913 or 1920-something, since the Great Depression, since the, you know, the, 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 the giant crash in the stock market that we experienced in this country 100 years ago or in the world or whatever, 100 and some years ago. Ever since then, it seems like this country has been driven more and more towards um, predatory capitalism. We don't give a fuck about the outcome of anything as long as it's producing money. The movie industry in the last maybe decade or less, has fallen off of a cliff because they're chasing, um, how do I say that? They're chasing hot-button topics, accessibility, inclusion, instead of telling a good story. They're looking for a formula to get butts in the seats for the box office sake. But they don't care about uh, not everyone, but a lot of these movie studios don't give a fuck about what story they're telling. They don't give a fuck about who they're telling the story to. Or how do I say that? They care too much about who they're telling the story to is more like it. So in, instead of telling a general good story without worrying about who you might offend or who won't be included, now they have to check all these boxes off and make sure everyone will have something to rally behind. And everything suffers because of it. If every time I sat down and I wrote a song, I had to think about, oh, I don't want to offend gay people. I don't want to offend black people. I don't want to offend white people. I don't want to offend Chaldean people. I don't want to offend Middle Easterns. I don't want to offend Africans. I want to include handicapped people. So every bar or every song, I have to include a bar about handicapped people. What the fuck? Are you making music to express yourself? Or are you making music to appease everyone in the fucking world? Imagine a song, imagine a world where every song had to include a bar about handicapped people or about women, about women empowerment, or every song had to put a nigga down, or every song had to make sure white people were comfortable. That's what movies have done. When I was a kid, I never, I don't remember anything about stuff like that. There being all these agendas and 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 groups to please. I don't remember things being like that. I 
I remember there just being art. There was a lot of talk about, you know, C. Dolores Tucker was a big advocate for saying music was too offensive, it was too raunchy, it was too degrading to women and all that type of stuff. And while some of those claims I agree with as an adult, these artists were still just making music. The movies, while they probably did consider inclusion a lot of times, it wasn't so heavy-handed, at least, at the very least. Today, everything seems so processed and bubblegum and neatly packaged for everyone to be able to consume comfortably. I don't like that shit. Another thing I mentioned in my last video, briefly, I didn't touch on it, but I would like to touch on it now, is that even the way that men and women dressed back in the 50s, 60s, 70s, even the 80s, we have fallen off a cliff with what we deem to be appropriate um, dress-wise. The 80s is where we kind of lost it because that's when girls really start pulling them titties out. And that's when niggas really start wearing leisure wear and, and not really caring about wearing suits the way that their fathers did and their grandfathers did the generations that preceded them. Right now, we're in the process of building our family tree. We've been digging through records and pictures and uh, family trees, looking at who's related to who and all of this stuff. And I'm just looking at the dates these people were born and the dates that they died, looking at pictures of them and the way that they dressed and carried themselves. Now, granddaddy and grandmama might have been on some bullshit personally, but they still upheld a certain standard when it came to the way that they dressed, the way that they had dinner, the way that they prepared dinner, the way that they um, facilitated their families, all of that type of stuff. The son will have to refer to the father as sir. Standard. Now, I have children. I have two sons. I'm not interested in requiring them to say sir to me. But I do understand it. Because we look back in retrospect and say, oh, they were being harsh or they were being too strict or they were being ridiculous or that was too much or whatever our fucking opinions are. We can also compare this time to that time. And while we're running around trying to figure out why, why so many things are failing and not working today. Maybe we should look at the shit that we're judging so heavily. Fathers requiring their sons to call them sir. You cannot disrespect your mom or your father without you being fucking slapped across your face or put out, you know. Respect seemed to be much more valued back then than it is now. Now motherfuckers want to be friends with their kids. I'm not that type of parent. I have fun with my children. I play with my kids. But I every single day, every 
single day, I make sure I draw the line between me and them. You know why? Because it is not my job to be their motherfucking friend. It is my job to make sure that they are equipped with the wisdom and knowledge that they need to survive this fucking world, that they are taught correctly and given the intelligence that they need to survive this fucked up world, they need structure, discipline, routine, all of those things. My style of parenting is very militaristic with a modern twist to it or some shit I don't know how you want to you know I don't know how you want to uh, you know I don't know how you want to label that um but my style I think I would I would I would label it as kind of militaristic and I I kind of got that my my style I kind of got my aesthetic of parenting from my father. My father was a fun dad. He was a nice guy. He he would play. He would sing with you. He would read me books and draw with me and taught me how to draw and taught me how to play chess and took me to fun events and baseball games and basketball games and rap concerts. But if I stepped too far left or too far right, either one way, it wasn't no motherfucking games to be played. It wasn't no talking. It was straight action. And that's not to say my father never gave me a whooping in my life. Now, my father would go upside my head one time, and then the rest of the time, he's got me hemmed up, and he's talking to me. But I remember being so terrified that I would describe these, these events, these dealings with them, me being chastised. I would describe it as... Oh, I got my ass whooped. Because I didn't know how else to describe it. But I never got my ass whooped. I would get popped upside the head or I would get hemmed up and it would feel so humiliating and so heavy and so, so terrifying that it would feel like I got my ass whooped. But really, in truth, I never got whoopings as a kid. You know why? Because that nigga was so scary I didn't need a whooping. He didn't have to whoop me. Respect him or pay for it. That's how I am with my kids. You're going to do what the fuck I told you to do or are you going to pay a price? Every time. People outside of my household, my immediate household, me and my sons, and at one point, their mother, people outside the household would witness me dealing with my child, children, and they would say, ease up on them a little bit or do this a certain way. Damn, you was kind of hard on them. Oh, you, you did this and said that? Cool. I get it. It doesn't look appetizing. It isn't hard. It isn't easy to digest sometimes because I'm stern. Now, I'm not saying... I broke a two by four over my son's head. No, it's just the way that I deal with them. I don't got time to be planned. 
I don't got time to be talking soft. I don't believe in soft parenting. I am adamantly against that shit. I don't agree with that. I don't like it. I've tried it. I don't fuck with it. Now, I have room for improvement as a parent, all that type of shit, but when it comes to what I want done, how I want you to behave and carry yourself as a representation of me, I don't have no fucking time to play with you about that shit. The reason that I'm so hard about that type of shit is because I grew up with a bunch of niggas that did not have fathers that would behave whatever the fuck they wanted to, and then they would go home to their single mother being able to do most of the shit that they wanted to do because their mama was too distracted, too busy, too tired, too weak to be able to keep these niggas in control. I cannot allow my sons to go down that path. I don't want to be a weak father, and I cannot disappear and allow them to be raised by a single woman so that they can get a bunch of feminine tendencies as little young men. That's not what the fuck they need. They need a balance, and I am doing my job in the balance. What happened to that? I don't mean to be too judgmental, but fuck it. When I go to my son's school to drop him off, not all, not even most, not even half. But sometimes I see fathers up at this school and they seem soft than a motherfucker. Very effeminate. Maybe they don't switch or wear dresses or got nail polish on. But I can see it in the way that they carry themselves. I don't mean to be judgmental. I'm just saying this for the sake of the topic. A lot of these niggas is weak and soft than a motherfucker. And I fear for their sons, not to say that their sons will be bad products simply because I think their fathers are soft than a motherfucker. But as a man, I can recognize when a motherfucker is missing a few things. Another man, I'm saying. I can recognize when I feel like this nigga's soft. You know, I can feel it. I can see, I can sense it, I can see it. But then we look back at fathers. We I think we I think as a society, I won't say we, because it ain't me. I feel like society has been a little too hard on the way men has chosen to be. And I'm not talking about cheating or having multiple families. We all agree that those things are crazy. Beating your wife and all that shit. I don't agree with none of that. But I think one of the common current uh, modern agendas is to soften men in general they don't want men to be men they want men to be some sort of fucking shell of a man and they want them to walk around and be oh, everybody gotta have tulips in their fucking hair and be Buddhists and shit not to say Buddhists are weak but what I'm saying is they want everyone to be peace loving and soft and gentle no I think crazy ass Heavy-handed, 
military-minded men are still and always have been necessary and needed for all of us. And one thing that I've been hearing lately from women is that they are admit, admitting almost reluctantly that they like strong men, masculine men. That's what the world used to feel like more than not. Today, man, these niggas are despicable. Despicable. You niggas is trash, bro. See, and the confusion comes from when I say masculine military-minded, you automatically, if you don't know what the fuck I'm talking about, you might envision a man that is quick to pull his gun on everybody. No, that's feminine shit. The last time that I got into a fucking fight, I was a teenager or a kid. You know why? Because the masculine qualities in me allows me the ability to deal with my problems diplomatically, strategically, with tact. I can defuse a situation before I have to go to jail or before I have to slap somebody across their face or before I have to break your jaw or before I have to shoot you in your motherfucking chest. That's not masculine. Feeling like every conflict that you run into has to break down into a fucking fight or a shooting is a feminine way of thinking. It is literally the result, the product of a man having too much motherfucking estrogen, being raised and having the emotional tools from his mama. Not manly shit. Shooting a nigga in his head because he cuts you off in traffic is feminine shit. That's not what the world that I was raised in. Now, niggas was getting shot in their head in the world that I was raised in. There was a lot of feminine qualities then. But the men that I was raised by, I watched it myself. It's like war. War is always going to be a thing. War doesn't have to be large scale. War can be between a man and another man or an individual and another individual. I watched war take place. And a lot of times war is discussion. A lot of times war is diplomacy. Two men having an issue. Standing on either side of their battlefields. being willing to go to, to, to blows or pulling guns, but dealing with it tactfully instead. Diffusing the situation, living and walking their opposite directions. I watched my father do it with many a nigga. And I also watched my father realize that there is no place for diplomacy in this particular situation and knock a nigga out or pull his gun and have a gunfight. I've watched it all. Today, there is no diplomacy for the most part. Niggas is just shooting. 
And that's because you niggas was raised by your mama. I'm done, and I'm not explaining shit. Thank you for tuning in to this wonderful monologue that I call Streams. I am Red Karan. This was episode 26. I'll see y'all niggas next week, man. Like, subscribe, comment, share, whatever the fuck. <laughs> Do that for me, please. Get my engagement up next week. Thank you.